Welcome to the Blackout Show, presented by the Guillen Grid, a show about the Chicago White Sox baseball, the good, the bad, the ugly. We'll debate what's working and what's not on the south side of Chicago. It's old school versus new school baseball. And most importantly, we're keeping all the receipts. baseball experience of my life and it's all because of you guessed it the united states of america thank you rob man for for allowing mike trout my boy tim anderson and the gang come and to destroy the world competition now i know we took the l to japan i understand that but me jay targaryen have never been proud of being not only an american but a fan of baseball i'm proud of you boys oh let's go how you guys doing man uh, not not as good as Shohei Otani right now. Golly. Oh, you just All right. So like five minutes ago, this game ended and I didn't think it was going to last. It was like a four hour game, which shout out to the pitch clock now. <laughs> that makes us appreciate things a little bit more. The World Baseball Classic was dope, dude. And yeah. what what more could you want than Mike Trout versus Shohei Otani for the final out of the ball game? That last at bat was sick. <laughs> Otani pumping 101 down the dick. And Trout could not catch up to it. And then with two strikes, that slide piece was so oh, yeah. dirty. Um, that was awesome. Gonzo, what did you uh what did you think of the of the championship game? You know, that's the first time I've seen I think Trout golf at so many pitches and his at bats in that series, but um that was as best of a championship game you could probably get in this tournament and for all the right reasons, he had the two best teams of the classic there. Are you surprised that Japan won? A little bit surprised, um, just because I didn't really realize how much talent was really on that J- Japan roster. Um, there's was, a lot. To be fair, there's a lot of guys that people have never heard of outside of yeah. like the three, four, five, and Roki Sasaki. There's there's not a ton of guys that your average. Not that you guys are average Joe baseball fans, but there's not a, a ton of guys that people are aware of name wise. Especially like the power come from the bottom of that lineup that Japan has. I was kind of shocked to see that. So. Uh, but all the power to them, I mean, it means a lot of these countries outside the USA, it means, I feel like it, it means a whole lot more to them. And they definitely showed it through the tournament. So, well, yeah, look at the brand of baseball that they played. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't just about playing nine innings. It was about letting my personality, letting the mentality of the team, the country as a whole, take place on the field. Like, look at, look at what happened when Trey Turner hit that grand slam. The dugout emptied. You don't really see that in America's game all too often. It's slowly getting into that point 
But come on, G. Mookie Betts and Tim Anderson flipping over the railing. You got Mike Trout got his tongue out like he's Jordan, Slav. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I think you were saying in the group chat, like obviously not Mr. Personality, right? Like not the most, you know, uh, flamboyant or extravagant type guy on the baseball field. But like, yeah, you saw a lot of these guys. And, you know, th this is great for the game of baseball, uh, despite what you said about Rob Manfred, who's trying to actively destroy the game of baseball. Um, we'll get in more into some of his comments about the upcoming world or the future World Baseball Classic a little bit later in the show, which brings us to our introductions. Thank you for joining us. Episode three of the Blackout Show. Uh, Ozzie Guillen Jr. is like in Chichiribichi or, or some random place doing who knows what. No call. Uh, he's no not show. here tonight. Yeah, no vacations uh, as far as I thought, you know, were allowed on our show. Uh, I'm Slav Kobekovic. I'm actually here for episode three, unlike OJ. So is Jay Targaryen. Uh, we won't say his actual um, last name, and we won't say what he likes to do as a hobby. And Chris Gonzalez joining us, as always, for episode three tonight. I got a family um, reunion coming up, uh, Slav. Uh, is it going to be, like, uncensored? Like, I don't I don't really know. I don't want to know any of the details. It's going to be the, a Targaryen family reunion, but go ahead. Pal. Yeah. And then nine months later, there's going to be a million more Targaryens. Like, what do you know? Uh, but this is a baseball podcast, so let's let's keep it baseball here. We don't need to talk about incest and Targaryens. Oh um, so the White Sox, as as the, uh, the the name of this episode, the White Sox showed out um, in maybe some surprising ways for the World Baseball Classic. They had I think eight or nine guys total. Uh, we'll start with the team that went the furthest. Uh, there was no White Sox players on Japan, the winners, but. Team USA had Tim Anderson, uh, they had Kendall Graveman, they had Lance Lynn. Uh, let's start with TA because there was some, you know, question marks about where he was going to play, if he would play over Turner or Bobby Witt. Obviously, he ends up going to second base. He looked pre pretty natural uh, overall. But before we get to that, let's go ahead, Jay, and see our Stone Pony Tweet of the Week. Mm. <laughs> For all that was made about how the World Baseball Classic didn't matter and how it wasn't important to the players and how so many of uh, the American guys specifically didn't really care to be there, blah, blah, blah. I think it's pretty damn proven at this point that it mattered to pretty much everybody that was on these rosters. And it mattered a whole hell of a lot to a lot of the viewers at home for you know countries like Puerto Rico, Venezuela, certainly Japan. Um, the amount of players talking about how crazy the atmosphere was, and it was the loudest game and the most intense game. Uh, I think Mark DeRosa tonight on the championship, he was, he had the headset on during the, uh, um, during the game. He's obviously in the dugout managing team USA. He said, this is the most fun experience he's had in baseball, but also the most stressful, uh, managing this team. So, uh, go ahead and punch up the, the tweet. Uh, Tim Anderson had some interesting quotes today. Bob Nightingale posted this uh, pregame. This is kind of my World Series at the moment. Now, it's you don't want to read too much into just a, a written quote based on what T.A. had to say. But um, the man played in, in, I think, every game for the Team USA. He played at second base. He looked pretty, pretty smooth. Uh, he hit somewhere over 400, which is, you know, pretty typical for him. Um, 
he looked good. And I think this, this quote from TA might get maybe a little bit misinterpreted or blown out of proportion. It doesn't mean that he doesn't care about the White Sox or the importance, but I think this just highlights guys what everybody was saying the last week or so, the last 10 days about just how fun and amazing this tournament turned out to be for all the guys involved. Oh yeah. Like uh, he said it was his world series. Now the only difference in the world series in the world baseball classic is obviously you're winning a different trophy, but all of the games matter. Every game is competitive. Like there's probably a big gap in the most important game for TA in this atmosphere playing alongside the Mike Trouts, the Paul Goldschmidt's the best the game has to offer with some meat on the bone. So I agree with TA, this could feel like a World Series because I'm not trying to go home the loser. I'm not trying to make my teammates, you know, feel like I didn't do enough. And that even he never played with these guys before. Like outside of Lance Lynn and Graveman, he's the, those are the only teammates he's had. So for him to have that type of accountability and say, yeah, I want to win it for you guys and I still want to put on a show, that's important. That's really important. Hopefully it could transpire into him bringing that bravado and that swag back to the South side. Yeah. For me with Tim, it, I mean, just another example to show that he is really a true face of the game for the MLB and as being a shortstop, it was going to be a fight on if he's going to be short or end up being in second base. But regardless, it get, I mean, you see so many MLB network commercials and Tim is involved in them. So I don't think we in the Chicago media really truly realize that as much and it really gets to show it. So for me, just the fact that TA is out there getting these competitive at bats and being in that competitive atmosphere, it, it only bettered him. And going forward, I feel like that's just going to carry over to the regular season. That's all we really wanted is uh, TA coming back healthy, recovering and uh, just showing himself off in the classic um, and, it just makes his image even better throughout baseball. Gonzo, you were talking about in, in one of our previous episodes, how, you know, you thought that this was going to be good for guys like Moncada, like Lance Lynn, you know, having the juices of a competitive game early on in the season, like, you know, number one from a White Sox and MLB and any team's perspective, you want your guys to come back healthy, win or lose. You don't really care. Yes. It'd be great if they all made deep runs and blah, blah, blah but you want them to come back healthy. Unfortunately for, you know, Edwin Diaz and the Mets, that's not the case. Um, for the most part, White Sox came away pretty unscathed. Um, but Tim Anderson, uh, he looked like TA and this is good considering the injury he had last season. You know, he said in an interview uh, early on in spring that he felt like he could have come back late in the regular season last year and played, but at that point, the White Sox were kind of down and out and, and it didn't make any sense. So it's good to see that physically he looks okay. It's good to know that, you know, for the most part, he looked pretty damn smooth at second base. He, um, you know, made all the right reads and seemed to kind of read the ball well off the bat. Um, turned a few double plays, which is definitely not easy to do when you're used to seeing it and executing it from the shortstop angle. And now all of a sudden you've got to do it from second. Everyone thinks like second base is just like the easiest position in baseball. Um, but it's really not. There's a lot that goes into it from the mental side of the game. So it's good to see that. And just from, you know, his, his at bats, he worked some counts. He looked like just kind of vintage TA anything off speed on the outer third. Like he just shot it up the middle or opposite field for a base knock, um, you know, seemed to be running really fine. 
Uh, Juan Diego says the atmosphere in Miami. He went to, oh, that's sick. I'm so jealous that you went to three games. Three games? I mean, that's, Adam Wainwright said it was the um, craziest atmosphere he's ever played in. I think Trey Turner, who's been to the World Series, said it was the loudest baseball game he's ever uh, taken part of. I think this was the quarterfinal or the semifinal. All these guys that participated loved it. And it's good to see that Tim Anderson kind of, you know, represented the White Sox well. Um, he did get taken out in the semis and in the championship game in the seventh or eighth uh, for Jeff McNeil to play second base, which is fine, kind of defensive replacement type thing. You know McNeil's going to give you good at-bats, and he's a natural second baseman, so I have no problem with that. Um, any other thoughts you guys had on T.A. before we get to uh, Rob Manfred and what he had to say? Uh, no, I think we touched everything up on T.A. And you guys you got anything else? I feel like it'll be interesting to see maybe next year or two what the Sox end up doing at shortstop because you see T.A. being put at second base, so does that mean they extend him and – Maybe with the flexibility that they have in 24, they might sign another shortstop and kind of play that up the middle and maybe move them over to second base. That It's interesting what they can do, knowing that what we've seen from TA at second base now in a competitive series in the Classic. So, And I liked what I saw out of them. So it'll be interesting. So let me – all right, you got this comment from Alfredo. TA can play second, bring on Montgomery. I'm, you know, I'm sure that's partly in jest. Get him out of um, here, man. Get who out of here? Alfredo, I don't want to see oh. Tim Anderson play. So, other position Gonzo, to, to your point, who the hell are you signing or bringing in that's going to move Tim Anderson to second base? Because they're not going to sign somebody worth $300 million if that person even exists in free agency next year. Well, like, who, who are you signing if... that's going to slap TA in the face and be like, no, now you're moving to second base? Well, considering that Han – well, not really Han, but Jerry was offering to get Rodon 150 this offseason. Now, that's just a pitcher, so who knows what kind of money they can throw at a position player. I'm not going to put it against them. My point is, so. who are what shortstops are out there that are realistically available, whether it's trade or free agency, that you go, wait yeah, we're down, definitely yeah. moving TA yeah. to second base. Like, there's only a handful of guys. Trey Turner would have been one of those guys. To me, Dansby Swanson, you don't, you don't sign him and move, and move TA to second. No, but I don't know. Like, I'd have to go look at the options for next year and see. Yeah, Juan Diego got the answer for you. Exactly. None. Uh, I Look, he's the face of your franchise. And as TA goes, the White Sox go. Um, now, obviously, he's not an elite shortstop defensively. He's gotten much better. He's certainly above average, I would say, at this point. You know, he's had some really tough series the last couple of years. But for the most part, like, unless you – I mean, you, you're going to be bringing one of the top three to five, maybe shortstops in baseball. And really it's got to be like top three to move TA to second base. And anybody who says, and it could have been play second now, it could have been okay, done. It could have been. But that, we can't say it cannot be done when obviously, but there's no know. realistic option. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And anybody who says, for you, Gonzo, <laughs> just for anybody you, who says, Elvis Andrews should play shortstop and T.A. should move to second. Just doesn't know a goddamn yeah. thing about baseball. I'm sorry. Well, you go back to this last class, like I would love to see Bogarts here. So, like, that's why I'm saying, like, there's options out there. We just don't know. Like, when the time comes, once we see who the class but is going to be. Bogarts was unreasonable, Gonzo. You know right. That that's what I'm saying. Realistic options. Even when Manny Machado was a free agent of the Sox, we're in pursuit the other, you know, whatever, three years ago now, whatever it was. 
TA openly came out and said, yeah, sure. Bring him on. He'll help. But I'm the shortstop. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just not there at that point to say it's unrealistic because we don't, we're not there yet. So, and we will never be I'm not, with the White Sox. As I long as TA is on the White Sox, I guarantee you there's nobody that's going to come in and, and take over shortstop. But I don't know that either because I don't know if they're actually thinking about extending him. It doesn't, it, like before the classic, it didn't sound it's, like they it's were irrelevant. even thinking about it. My point is, as long as he is a member of the White Sox and on the active roster, whether that, you know, if they don't extend him, that's a different story. If TA is on the White Sox, TA is playing shortstop. There's they're not, they are not bringing anybody else in that's going to make him move to second base. Why are you trying to move off a top 10 short? I was not expecting to have this conversation tonight. Like, what are we, what the hell? Oh, you're going to hear about yeah. this in the group chat later, Gonzo. <laughs> uh, uh, Ozzy, if Ozzy was here right now, whew, you think I'm laying into you. Uh, Juan Diego says it. Turner, it's a lock. That's like the only guy that, you know, he obviously just signed a huge deal with, with Philly. So it's not happening anytime soon. Like, I just, I just don't see any, any scenario in which any shortstop comes to the White Sox for for multiple reasons, whether it's the amount it would cost in a trade, the amount it would cost in free agency, I just I, I just can't see TA not being the shortstop of the White Sox uh, in any time in the near future. I do agree and with you. With Alfred, that. Okay. Um, the Elvis situation like that just made no sense when it was being brought up with having him play shortstop when TA is healthy. Like that, that made no sense. But even with what Alfredo was saying here, like there's a lot of scouts in this organization that was already moving Montgomery out to the outfield. Like they're not, you know, for sure guaranteeing him in the infield. So and he's also, you know, he's a bigger guy and he's still growing. There's there's a yeah. good chance he ends up at third base if he does stay in the infield. Uh, whether or not they pay TA, that's that's another you know question mark. I think. I think they know they probably have to. I think they probably aren't going to be thrilled with what the price he's going to demand is. But, you know, that's um, that's going to be a very interesting. Um, it's the same thing like Zach Levine's max contract with the Bulls. You're in a point to where you have to pay that man. Pretty much. Loud, I think, like, to go with what you're saying, like, if you look at 24, I think the payroll right now, the active roster payroll is at, like, 135. So they got, like, at least 50 million there to catch up to where they are this year. To use. Sure, theoretically, if, if they're but, using I mean, if they're using this year's balance for next year, you know, you got but fifty million. Theoretically, you're going to have to pay TA or any other shortstop. So that I mean, you can pencil in fifteen million guaranteed if Giolito stays. Which I don't know if that's realistic, but you're going to have to go sign another pitcher. Dylan Cease is eventually going to get a contract extension. Like you can't just say like, oh, this is how much is on the books because obviously contracts are going to change. Um, Man, I, I'm like just did not expect us to be having this conversation <laughs> like at all right now. Like, Gonzo, you threw me off entirely. Um, let's let's stick with uh, with Team USA. Gonzo, <laughs> let's stick with Team USA. Kendall Graveman, uh, the second of three members on Team USA from the White Sox. Uh, we didn't see him a ton, um, which is kind of disappointing. I really would have liked to have seen him pitch tonight in the championship game. They went to like Jason Adam. Um, uh, David Bednar from the uh, Pirates and uh, Aaron Luke. Who, yeah, I mean, okay, well, that made sense because it was lefty lefty early, and Japan had like five straight lefties to to start their batting orders. So uh, yeah. Freeland, I mean, he gave him some good innings, but anyway, with Graveman, like not a ton um, to kind of base it off of. You know, you just hope that he's getting his regular work, and I'm sure the White Sox were in contact with with them all three of those guys just to make sure that you know they're still getting in games and, and whatnot uh, but then you have lance lynn 
who made two starts for Team USA, looked really good in one, uh, a little shaky to start uh, his last start. But we <laughs> we heard him have some interesting comments, and it reminded me of Mark Burley back in 05, like wanting to close um, if, if necessary tonight for Team USA. Um, he was on the foul territory podcast or show which is which is a new show which aj pierzynski is a part of and hosting um jay why don't you play us the clip on lance lynn talking about wanting to just be available tonight for team usa in the wbc hey, lance you're i'm assuming because you threw the other night you're done right with the wbc you're done yeah you're yeah done I, I asked well, them, we, I, I asked the or something like that uh, tomorrow, and they were like, "Absolutely not." So, um, <laughs> so I think is is you supposedly set up to throw the championship game? No, he's no not Yamamoto. Him in a hot, no Yamamoto, but no. Otani might close out the game. Angels are letting him close things out, apparently. Well, yeah. if he's get, if he's if he's slated to be able to close, then I'm I'm gonna have to get on a phone with Rick today and see if I can. <laughs> <laughs> Is that not the mentality that you want out of like anybody on your roster? Like I fucking love Lance Lynn's. I want 26 Lance Lynn's on my team. Uh, Lynn pitched well. He certainly looks like he's ready for, for, you know, the regular season. Um, He was adamant that he wanted to stay in, in his previous start. And he was adamant that he would have wanted to have been available um, tonight to close things out. Otani did pitch the ninth inning for Japan. He, gets the save, I guess, technically. Um, what did you guys think of Lynn's performance? And what did you think about his comments there on foul territory? Uh, he wanted to go Mark Burley and come in the 13th inning after a couple of Bush lattes. Uh, well, I mean, to be honest with you, it's kind of weird watching Lance Lynn pitch in the WBC compared to what he did last year because he's not so fastball heavy now. You see a lot of breaking stuff, a lot of off-speed stuff. And that tells me that's a guy who's putting his pride aside and doing what's best for the team. Because you think about this, Slav. He could he could throw you three different fastballs, right? But he was taking some off. He was trying to stay into the game. That lets me know that he was locked in as a starter. This just not you no know, exhibition tournament for Lance Lynn. I feel like he he gave a championship effort. And the and the fact that uh, he only got hit once, he only gave up one mistake, and that was the home run. Let make no mistake about it. He's been dynamite this whole spring. So, I, I mean, I, li- I liked Lance Lynn in the WBC. I mean, he performed well. He represented the country well. It was straight A's for me. What do you think, Gonzo? Well, first off, with that interview with Lynn, I mean, that just is your typical bastard, Lynn. Like, you just love the guy. <laughs> I, just, I just love the, the guy. Um, and, yeah, I mean, just with his interviews, <laughs> with his interviews in general, I love what we get from Lynn. But, even himself on the mound. I know I went back last episode to say that he had a better second. He had the best second half of our pitching staff. There's a and, second half right there. <laughs> <laughs> but to see him just continue on from the second half in the World Baseball Classic and, and pitch well, um, he's just representing well. And I think as a guy that's going to be up there in our rotation as a top three. Um, he's going to get going into the season, and I'm he's number two. That. He's he's not top three. He's number two. Yeah, I mean, I know we'll you're. See. Look, I know we'll you see. love Michael Kopech. I, I, we all love him, but he's like Lance Lynn is your number two starter. With how Kopech's been pitching this spring, I mean, <sighs> we'll see. Hey, hey, Slav, you you remember how Kopech began last year? Like 
if this man is that, a terrorist. If he's that pitcher. <laughs> and why is that a no bad thing? Not, like, why is that a bad thing if you have to argue who's two and three if they're pitching that well? Like, okay, but like it's March twenty first, so it, it, there is no argument about how well Michael Kopech is pitching because he said himself he didn't love his stuff in his last outing. Well, Gonzo, you were just derailing all of our conversations. <laughs> but I, look, yes, I would love it if Michael Kopech was our number two starter. To me, that means. Hopefully things have gone really well for him and not really poorly for the rest of the rotation. Um, but look, Lance Lynn is your number two starter. He's the horse. And I think my favorite part of that interview um, in regards to the WBC was him telling a story of how he actually made his way onto Team USA's roster. Uh, long story short, he said he was basically drunk at hunting camp. It was like 11 p.m. They had steaks on the grill and he FaceTimed Mark DeRose and says, I'm, I'm coming. I'm playing. And, you know, Dero had no options, no choice at that point. So that's um, that's essentially how Lynn worked his way onto the roster. I am happy that he took part. And I think to me, that's why I want, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit more anxious to see him pitch early in April because of how he had to get kind of amped up and ready a little bit earlier than the rest of the guys. I think that's going to be huge and beneficial for him in April and early on in the season. Jay, to your point, I don't know. I don't know that I am super thrilled that he was, you know, kind of junk balling it. Yes. Maybe it's a good thing that he's, you know, willing to kind of change it up. Um, I, I don't know if, are you, are you concerned or either of you concerned at all of the fact that like he wasn't 90% fastball um, like he normally is? No, I wasn't concerned because that wouldn't have been a winning formula. Like you got to think you're going against the best of the best. And if you, let's just say you show Venezuela 90% <laughs> fastball, he's only going to pitch two innings and his fucking ERA is going to be higher than his age. So I feel like you, you've seen Lance Lynn get back to who he was when he was 24, 25 years old, you know, showing the change up to get the arm side run, breaking off a sweep and slider instead of just the hard cutter. Like, I feel like we're watching him transform back into a complete pitcher instead of just all velocity and just, you know, trying to change our level. So I, I, I like it. It's an encouraging thing. I wish Lucas Giolito would get to that point in his career too and go back to where he was in Washington being curveball heavy because he has a good curveball. He just went away from it the last few years. And I think that'll help him being a taller pitcher. So uh, long story short, I just think that Lance Lynn uh, was just reverting back to normal, which is great for the White Sox because that's a more durable pitcher and a more responsible and mature pitcher. Man, I don't know that I, I don't know that I agree with that. But well, Gonzo, what you got? I was gonna say there's several things on that interview I liked. One, like he said that uh, they base everything on the Cy Young standings, which I, I just laughed at because I know he's joking about it. But I mean, regardless, like we we both know, like you said, Slav, that it's gonna be one two Cease Lynn. Um, but the, another part of that interview that I enjoyed was him talking about wanting to pitch to 40 and he's always changing things up so he can save himself and um, just do the, what's best for the team. So like what Jay is saying with, I know, I know this or next year, I think, no, this will be his last year in the contract, but um, I'm just excited with his age right now with, he's still one of the better arms and I know he, he said in the interview, you know, he might be considered underrated, but um, he's just a, a top veteran pitcher in this league and he's still going at it. And I'm not really worried if he went more of his off speed just because he knows the hitters are so 
a little bit further in, in their progression right now in the spring than the pitchers are. So I think he would just rather go off speed so he can kind of minimize that advantage. Um, and that's where I think he's at right now. So, but I think he's, once he gets going, we're going to see those cutters and how he um, changes his grips and works the movement off of them to really like what we saw last year when he was pitching to Mike Trout, ironically, he was just hitting them with just cutters and just changing his grips and movement on them. So he's a guy that will work with that slider cutter action. I, I hope, Look, his career has been, he's been very consistent. He's like always 85 to 90% fastball, four seam, two seam, you know, cutter, um, which he kind of opens up into a little bit more of a slider. My concern is that if he's going way more breaking ball, that's more strain on your elbow and on your arm than throwing 90% fastballs, especially for a guy his size. Um, We'll see. Uh, I, I don't know that once we get into April and regular season, that he's still going to be pitching the same way he did in the WBC. But Gonzo, you, uh, you kind of alluded to, to him saying he's underrated. Let's go ahead and then Jay, uh, pull that clip up for us. Let's hear what Lynn had to say. I mean, the fact that you're asking me a question, you know, I am. So, uh, I know you're not, (laughs) I know you're not. I think, I think I'm one of those guys that, you know, people that, that have played the game, people that are around the game, uh, they know, they know what I'm about. Um, sometimes, you know, that's how it happens. You're, you're the guy that, uh, you know, might not get the, the publicity or whatever that might be, but that's not who I am either. I'm going to show up every day. I'm going to do everything I can to help my team win. And that's how I've been my whole career. That's a horse. That's again, like anytime this man opens his mouth, he just says everything that you want to hear. Um, and it's good for him to kind of still have that chip on his shoulder, despite the success he's had the last, you know, four or five seasons in, in the MLB. He's been, I think, top six in Cy Young for three of the last four years, four of the last five. Um, it's good that he's got that chip on his shoulder because it means that he's not just going to, you know, kind of rest on his laurels and, and hey, I got my contract. I've had a great career. Like, let's just kind of coast into retirement. Like he's, he wants the ball. He wants to win. He wants to go deep into games and, he wants to kind of lead this team and this pitching staff deep in October. Yeah. Uh, you could look at the way that Lance Lynn carries himself. This is exactly what the White Sox need, especially in a rotation. Because look at our best two talents, Kopech and Dylan Cease. They're not proven. They're not stoppers in a rotation yet. They're not anybody you can depend on for 180 to 200 innings. I can ask Lance Lynn for that. So you you watch the man and how he carry himself. He He cares about how others view him social consistency is important to lance lynn that's why he's so relatable to guys like us he's just one of the guys he's the big bastard you know what i'm saying that persona is important on this chicago white Sox team when you're trying to build a culture when you're trying to figure out who's a fuck who's a leader and who's just you know old and productive so i'm glad we got lance lynn in house I feel like he's just like one of those guys that just, you know, he accepts his own role and what he has as a pitcher. And for one, he didn't get to the MLB with just throwing gas with overpowering velocity. He's a guy that, you know, with what he has in his pitches, he just mixes and matches location and control. And um, he's been able to do that for his tenure and just eat innings. And I just remember him as a Cardinal and he talked about this in an interview he felt like he was overlooked because of your Wayne Wrights um, and Westbrook was there. And 
he felt like, you know, people weren't really paying attention to him. And then he went to Texas and like as an outsider, like I didn't really see him as, you know, like I do consider him underrated because when he was away from the Sox, like I wasn't really like too crazy about, you know, him as a pitcher. But then until he gets here and then as time goes on, you see what he can do. And and then you see what you're saying, Slav, where he's up there in Cy Young over the past three out of the four years. And at one of those veteran guys that can eat up innings, like he's just what you want as a pitcher. And um, I'm glad that we have him. So what what didn't you like about him out of curiosity when he was with Texas? Well, like I just know, like if I remember, his ERA was kind of up there in Texas, which I, it can be hard pitching in Texas at Arlington Heights. Um, but I think it's just because of that, like he doesn't have the overpowering stuff, and like that's exactly like, what he was alluding to. Yeah, like, I that, wasn't like that's exactly what he's he's underrated until you've got him on your team, and you're like, yo, this guy yeah. fucking love this guy. And he's absolutely really right about that because, like, you don't see that stuff and you're, like, you're not excited about it, but he just outworks you as a pitcher and he just gets outs and gets his dubs. And um, I respect that, especially when he was a rookie on that St. Louis squad. I mean, you're up there with dogs in that rotation and he, he was just learning from them and how to be a pro. And he learned with the right staff and the right manager at the time and carried that with him on his journey. And it might not have worked out in Texas for the best. I think he's, he's still great at Texas. Don't get me wrong. But um, like, I know there were some up and down years there, but to get him here, like you said, you just get that much more respect once you have that guy. Remember the, the White Sox fans were upset. We traded away Dane Dunning for Lance Lynn. <laughs> like I got blocked by about 40 people. Cause I was telling them like, I don't give a damn about Dane Dunning. Give me, Lance Lynn, when it's winning time, like that was a move that Rick Hahn made that lets me know he at least believes a World Series is right there. It was definitely a win now move. Uh, yeah. You know, everybody, and probably a lot of the reason why you got blocked by so many people uh, is because Dane Dunning had a really strong season that second half in 20. Well, I guess second half was like a month. Um, <laughs> then he gets the start in game three and Ricky Renteria. Um, you know, yanks him quick, but you know, people had high hopes for him. He was young, he was controllable. Uh, and I think you kind of knew what to expect out of him. And, you know, to your point, Gonzo, like Lynn is not a sexy name. He's not, he doesn't have sexy stuff. Like there's just nothing about him to the, you know, unless you're watching him pitch every five days as a member of your team, nothing about him just like really stands out other than he eats innings, but it was the perfect move for Lynn. And I mean, his first half in 21, his first season with the White Sox was as good of a, of a half as we've seen like any Sox pitcher since like Contreras in 06. And that includes Cease maybe even in the second half last year or the first half last year. Um, like he, he's just, he's the perfect guy. And one of the reasons why I'm glad he's on the White Sox now is because he's there with Dylan Cease and Michael Kopech as they kind of establish themselves into what, you know, Lynn has, has become in his career, you know, ideally guys who are going to make 30 starts every year, pitch 200 innings and, you know, be relied upon at the top of rotation. Um, I kind of uh, alluded to this earlier. And by the way, if you haven't already go listen to this full interview from Lance Lynn, it's on foul territory. It's on YouTube. Uh, he talked with uh, AJ Przinsky, Adam Jones, Eric Kratz for like 20 minutes, a lot of great stuff in there. 
And he also had um, an interesting answer when he was asked about who should start opening day. And Jay, that's going to take us to Griffold's grounds. Yeah, baby. You know, I don't have a problem making decisions. I don't have a problem making a call on a, you know, on a on a pitcher. I don't have a problem making a call on, on you know, on whatever our team needs at this particular moment. <laughs> I love that I'm catching Jay off guard like every time I ask for an animation. He's like, yeah, let's see, here it comes. Uh, click. Damn. <laughs> um, but so as part of this interview, Lance Lynn was asked, you know, is he starting opening day? And by the way, like AJ presents, he's still a huge like White Sox homer. Um, so he had a lot of questions about the Sox in there. And Lynn said, no, he thinks it's good. Like he didn't confirm that it's going to be Dylan Cease, but um, he basically said, Cease deserves it, you know, finishing second in Cy Young last year. He's earned it with all the things that he did. Uh, and going back to his days with Adam Wainwright in St. Louis, he said, opening day starters should always be the guy that finished highest in the Cy Young voting or standings, you know, the previous year. And I'm sure he was joking, but I'm sure there was also quite a bit of honesty to that. Um, so we asked the poll question on the Blackout Show uh, Twitter account, uh, who should be the White Sox opening day starter? And this is about the response that I expected. Seats gets 77%. Lynn gets 21%. I don't know who these people are. Is Gonzo voting for Kopech? Is that the other? Yep. Probably. Um, no, I no. certainly don't think Clevenger or Giolito, um, you know, deserve it. But um, it, it was an interesting to say, like, outright by Lynn that no matter what the manager even thought, that Cease should be the guy. Um, I, 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 I understand why 77% said Cease. Me personally, I would give the ball to Lynn um, for multiple reasons. Number one, he's readier to go because of the WBC. He kind of got his stuff amped up uh, and, and ready to go a little bit more. He has the right mentality for it, number two. And I think, you know, if I, if I look through the schedule correctly, the way that um, the rotation would line up, assuming that they go one, two, three, four, five, and, you know, don't skip anybody because of off days or whatnot – Cease would actually miss the twins, which I personally like because they're obviously the, the most familiar with them. And you'd get him against, you know, like the Pirates, which you would think would be a, uh, a easy win and a very tough schedule in April. Um, I was surprised to see Lynn just straight up say, because of the type of guy he is, like he, you would think he'd want the ball. But I was surprised to him, for him to say just, you know, straight up, it's going to be Cease. So that shows you the respect he has for Dylan Cease and what his eyes tell him up front. Like, no, I see this guy being one of the top pitchers in American League. And don't get me wrong, Lance Lynn's numbers in the second half were great. Gonzo was telling us a few weeks ago, like, he outpitched Cease during the stretch last year. And for him to still come out and say, no, Dylan Cease, day one starter, what are we doing here? Like, that tells me a lot about not only the, the stuff that Lynn sees, but how he could, how he sees Dylan sees up against Kopech and probably other young pitchers around the league. Yeah, and really, like, I think it just shows you the difference between. I mean, granted, Lynn was injured for the first half with his knee injury that he was battling with, but just shows you the difference between a full season that Cease really showed his progression as a starter and took that leap forward 
to show his dominance as an ace of our staff last season. Um, and it's no, it's no fluke. I mean, he went back to back years of 32 starts and 225 plus strikeouts. Yeah. Talk um, to him. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> he but just looks not so great without the mustache. anymore. Honestly. <laughs> yeah. That's a guy that going forward, you, you got to allow him just to cook, let him cook, let him keep going and let the prove. Prove that that wasn't a fluke of back-to-back years, and continue on for another consistent year going forward here. Um, but again, like going back to what we were saying, like it's it shouldn't be just Cease. I mean, guys need to step up and take off take off from the start of the season. And um, like I know Junior alluded to it too. Like it would be unfortunate to see Cease be the only one that takes that um, being that consistent lead. I don't know pitcher going forward for another breakout year if it's just him and not anyone else like that doesn't do the team any good so um but yeah I don't I I I would consider it just take it day by day like I wouldn't look past into you know future series in the month of April to determine your rotation you have to move with your best arm that you feel is your best pitcher going forward to lead your staff and if um, the guys respect Cease, and get, you got to give him the ball and allow him to do his work. I got a question uh, for you guys. How many opening day starts do you see Michael Kopech making in a White Sox uniform? Because granted, I think we're going to have Dylan Cease for a while. So, I, I mean, would, would, is there a chance I'm Michael Kopech be the ace? Fan. What happened? Let's get Gonzo's thoughts. Big, big Mr. Kopech fan. Cease is my guy. I just respect Kopech, but um, it really, we have to see if Kopech takes that leap after his first season, um, like Cease did from 21 to 22. Um, Because a lot of people like the potential that Kopech has. Um, I still think the the potential that Cease, because Cease only made this jump with basically two pitches. He really didn't use the the usage of his knuckle curve or changeup as much last year. Um, and it's kind of the same situation as Kopech with the slider and his fastball. So, but again, I still see, see his potential of four, piss, or four pitches that you can use. So yeah, he got like, four pisses too, yeah. He would, yeah, that would piss a lot of batters off if he was throwing them off yeah. for strikes. He'll he piss a lot of batters away with the stuff that he has with his knuckle curve changeup slider. Again, that slider was a 47% whiff rate best pitch in the in the league last year, um, which is crazy considering like Corbin mm-hmm. Burns uh, cutter or even Devin Williams changeup. Like that was it was the most elite pitch in baseball. Yeah. So again, for me, that's that's muscle memory when it comes to you know th- those pitches that you throw. So if he can continue that, which I feel like he will. It's hard for me to gauge that off of the spring. I know me and Slav talked about off-speed pitches in the spring, but I don't think that's something we'll really see too much until the spring grows here when he comes back to elevation here in Chicago. Answer um, the question. Uh, I'm going to say no. Zero. I'm going to say no. I would agree. I think zero. Is, I don't think it has anything here. to do with Kopech. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I think as long as Cease is here, I can't see a scenario, you know, 
even if C's takes a step back this year, barring some, you know, something like what's a step back though, like a three ERA. <laughs> that would be a step back for him. Like, or, you know, I think anywhere between three and three, five, like that's, that is a step back. That's still a very, very good pitcher. And if he, you know, knock on wood continues to be that guy to make 32 starts every year, like that's still a very, very good pitcher and someone that you want to have. But I think even if C's took a step back, let's say one step back. So somewhere around a three ERA, maybe three and a quarter in that range. And Kopech takes a step forward. I still think Cease having an extra year, basically of full season experience would be the guy that I would, I would give the ball to um, in the future. I hope Kopech pans out. I hope he turns into the ace that he has the potential to be. We've heard nothing but praise for him from Ethan Katz and Yasmani Grandal and pretty much everybody that's seen him throw all spring. But, you know, again, like I try not to put too much stock into spring numbers. I try not to put too much stock into, you know, velocity. Like Kopech's velocity has not been where he wanted it to be. Lucas Giolito pitched today against the Brewers. He said his velocity, you know, he said he doesn't care about velocity as long as he's getting swings and misses like he was for the most part today. Um, you know, Cease's velocity has not been 97 to 99, like we're accustomed to. So I, I don't, I don't want to put too much stock into it to answer your question, Jay. I think the answer is zero for Kopech. I think just as long as Cease is here, he's going to be the guy to get the ball on opening day. Um, but I, it, I don't know. Do, do we hope that we're wrong? What do you think, Jay? I, I I definitely hope I'm wrong because if you look at the talent that Michael Kopech is, if you tell me his ceiling is just being a number two behind Dylan Cease, I feel like you're a little shortchanged. Like I don't want to give Luis Robert the bust uh, label because he's been hurt, but at the same time, if you look at his numbers, they just haven't been there. Michael Kopech numbers haven't been close to Dylan Cease yet. So I mean, hopefully Michael Kopech can put together a season to where he could at least overlap C statistically but he's gonna have to stay healthy and he's gonna have to strike out more batters than what he's doing right now who has the higher let's say they both hit their peak potential who has the higher ceiling of the two Dylan C's because of his durability like if you let's just say Dylan C's gives me 200 innings this year can you imagine what those strikeout numbers will look like what his whip will look like well, if he keeps the walks down, yeah, that, I mean, um, that's, he's acknowledging himself. I think he, um, uh, on the broadcast the other day, he was interviewed by Chuck Garfine and, and basically said like, that's really the only thing that he has left to kind of like master is, you know, just keeping the walks down. Um, I would agree. I think Cease's ceiling is better than Kopech, but Kopech's ceiling is still, you know, Pretty like damn high. An, an ace. Yeah. I mean, like Cease's ceiling is like Cy Young perennial Cy Young contender ace. I think Kopech's ceiling is like ace, but I don't know if he, I don't know. I, I, I don't know, man, I don't know. Both guys, it's, it all just comes down to command. The stuff is there. Uh, you, you want durability and you want strikes. Gonzo, what do you think? Who's got the higher ceiling? And it's funny. Cause I feel like whenever I see this topic, I see a lot of people choosing Kopech but I feel like it's really biased towards Kopech. I don't think people value Cease the same as they probably should. Um, and you kind of see that with the national media with <laughs> snubbing Cease of the All-Star, being an All-Star. And I was surprised that he kind of got the votes for the runner-up for Cy Young as he did because he didn't get that value from the national media. So 
Um, for me, it is Cease, though, just from what I've seen from Cease. He's proven it, and again, if he's only showed this with two pitches to this point, and he really hasn't gotten to those third and fourth pitches that he has, and if he were, with time, with that veteran status, he's going to learn how to be effective with his pitch counts and get ahead of the hitter sooner and trying to finish them sooner than later and allowing the pitch counts to drag on like he has in the earlier part of his career in the rotation. Um, and for me, once he masters that, I mean, it's a done deal for me. I mean, this is a guy that, I mean, the sky's the limit for him, especially with Verlander. Verlander left the American League. So granted, DeGrom came into it, but health is a big factor with DeGrom. So don't get me wrong, you got a couple of pitchers in the league, American League that will give him competition for Cy Young, but that's a guy that I'm happy that we have on our team right now with, with his contract status, with the years left on it. Um, if you get a guy like Kopech, I, again, I want to bring on Iron Iron's Iron, competition's competition, and I would love to see these two mustering iron, it out. Iron's Iron. iron. <laughs> So, I like uh, I like to see these two going at it for years to come here. Hey, I'm not gonna lie. I'm I'm a White Sox homer, and I'm comparing our rotation to the tribe. Oh God. Yeah, and I'm going there. Like we shouldn't do this without without Junior. Yeah, no, I'm <laughs> I'm glad I'm doing it without him. So he's gonna have to watch this on fucking playback and eat his heart out. But well, we're gonna have to talk about it next week. I think Michael Kopech could be better than any Guardians pitcher in 2023. And that's just Kopech. I think his his ceiling, oh man, God, I don't know. Tristan McKenzie's really good. And obviously that Shane Bieber guy, he's he's still okay. Yeah. I need to see more from McKenzie. Yeah. That's beautiful. How can you say that about him, but you can't say that about Kopech? That's beautiful. Because I've seen it more out of Kopech last year. Stretches of dominance. You know what? I'm going to co-sign it, Slav, just because it fits my narrative. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you saw, what, about it. you saw what Kopech did. He dominated the Dodgers, the Yankees. Did back you to watch back Tristan McKenzie like, down the stretch last season at all? Are you serious? Have you watched him dominate the White Sox every fucking time for two years? I'm not surprised about the White Sox because of the yeah. injuries. Hey, guess who they play more than any other team? <laughs> Hey, Man, I don't look at Juan there for you. That's three. That's three. Juan, like I thought we were boys. I thought we were all on <laughs> Team Venezuela, and now you're just throwing me under the bus. What the f? Um, okay, to me, yes, I think Michael Kopech's ceiling is higher. God, wow. but Slav, besides besides Bieber, which I, I you know I got respect Bieber, but besides Bieber, McKenzie. What's the gap between McKenzie what? and Kopech? <laughs> what else? I don't know. Are you, you going to have a Savali has to have a pretty good time against the White Sox too. Uh, Come on, man! Are you going on a Savali? Who am I forgetting in their in their rotation? Oh, fuck. Cal Quantrill. Are you serious? <laughs> the- Come on, man! <laughs> so you're. Have you guys put- been watching the same fucking White Sox Indians games the last two years that I have? What the fuck are you you're talking gonna about? You're going to put. You're going to put. Bieber, McKenzie, Savali. Guys. Kopech is over, the number three at best in the White Sox rotation right now. They Lynn. won 81 games last year. What are you smoking? All right, but Cease was a Cy Young runner-up. Okay, and Lance Shane Bieber Lynn. was what, third or fourth? 
Right. Or no, he was like eighth, seventh, eighth. Okay, continue. Lance Lynn, where maybe you said earlier in the show, he's maybe. been yeah. three. He's oh, been yeah, three yeah. out of the four years, three of the past four years. Gonzo, I think young. we just put the cables on slob, right? Yeah. Now. Mackenzie's not even anywhere near Cy Young. And neither is Kopech. What are you talking about? But I said Lance Lynn. Those three are better than anything the tribe have to offer. Yeah. Get- wait, 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 wait. Wait, cease, what? Say that again. Cease, Kopech, and Lynn. Kopech, Lynn. Or in your case, hold on, hold on. Slav, in your case, it's How Cease, Lynn, How are you telling Lynn, me Kopech. that Tristan McKenzie doesn't have the same track record as Kopech? The man made 30 starts, had a sub-3 ERA, and was eight and two-thirds away from 200 innings. What are you talking about? I love Michael Kopech. How is he yeah. not easily the number two pitcher in the White Sox rotation if you slate him in there today? You said, wait, what? Tristan McKenzie, look at his stats. What are you talking about? You're putting about? McKenzie over Lynn? What, based on what he did last year and his age? 296 ERA, 191 innings, 30 starts. 190, he, uh, he averaged a K an inning and he his walks to. So, I mean, like, okay, since we're on 4. it. 4.3 strikeouts to walks. We're, okay, does Tristan Mc, uh, McKenzie get Cy Young votes this year? In I wouldn't be surprised at all. Will Michael Kopech get Cy Young votes? Maybe. I bet you Tristan McKenzie has a better chance of getting Cy Young votes than Michael Kopech. I'm not a gambling man, so talk to Gonzo. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I wish – see, now, now I know what you guys you're, – you're teaming up on me because OJ is not here to back me up because he's going to say the same thing that you guys are high. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. How can you tell me that Hold Tristan on. McKenzie doesn't have a track record when Kopech – had fewer starts, fewer like Tristan McKenzie has pitched 344 innings in his last three seasons. How many has Kopech pitched over the last five seasons? 203. Kopech's career is 12 innings more than what McKenzie pitched all just last season. Tristan McKenzie has started more games than Michael Kopech. He's been healthier. If you give if you give Kopech and Tristan McKenzie 30 starts, you still think Tristan McKenzie is a better pitcher? Guys, all right, like, I'm blown away right now. We're, like, I'm not making this up. Last season, Michael Kopech, 25 starts, 119 innings, 3-5-4 ERA, okay? Last season, 25, 119, 3-5-4. Also last season, Tristan McKenzie, at a year younger, 30 starts, 191 innings, okay? That's 71 innings more, five more starts, and a sub-three ERA. Like, what are we talking about? Just sounds like a good year from McKenzie. And his only year. The year before, he made 24 starts, four and And a half ERA. Yeah, four and a half. Okay, four, nine, five, 120 innings. He weighs 36 pounds, and he's already more durable than (laughs) Kopech. What are you guys talking about? I'm, I'm... how 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 are we having this conversation right now? Because it's only one good year. And what has Kopech done to give you more faith? No, but I was arguing on Lynn, not Kopech. You no no no, Jay. Did you not say that Kopech? I was had- making an argument of the White Sox rotation, the top three being better than the Tribes' uh, top three. 
But yeah. that that segued into a conversation isolating Kopech and Tristan McKenzie, comparing the two. Let's if we polled a thousand baseball fans and said, "Pick one today, Kopech or McKenzie." How many would say Kopech? Fifty. <laughs> 50 50 50% or 50 out of a thousand because I know the answer that I would say 50 out of a thousand I'm not gonna lie to okay. people on the internet man thank you because we can't receive that's also a bias of the national media versus the White Sox oh. how are you not biased as a White Sox fan against McKenzie and in favor of Kopech I just said that earlier with the national narrative with Cease how he got snubbed this is great what does that have to do with McKenzie and Kopech for the same reason of national voters knowing McKenzie over Kopech. Absurd. That is absurd. <laughs> What's absurd? I am is speechless. That Cleveland has a better rotation than the White Sox. Why did the Cleveland Guardians win the division last year? Jose what is Romero. Cleveland? What is Cleveland known for over the last decade? Stephen Kwan. Yeah, it's they develop player. pitching like a fucking hitting. machine. They're hitting, Jesus Christ. They're hitting, their fielding was a whole lot better. Like, there's so many of the small things that they, they did better than the White Sox. Really so mad. I'm so mad at both of you for doing this without Ozzy here. I already had this conversation with Ozzy on Twitter that you missed. When he said, hey, were you that, wrong on Twitter as well? Yes. No, I, I proved so. Jay, Jay. What did you prove? The what did you Hold prove? The what did you prove? Tell Junior me what had, you proved. Junior had no clue he's talking about with war. Oh, what does yeah. that have to do with anything? Did the <laughs> Guardians said, not win the division last year? He said that Bieber. He said that Bieber. Hold up. Hold up. Hold up. He said Bieber was a better pitcher than Cease last year. You guys are making me sound like I'm not actually a White Sox fan. That's the crazy part. Like you need to go. How the fuck are you not giving Tristan McKenzie his flowers? Like what are we doing? He's a really good pitcher. He had a really good year last year. Flowers. And he's good better year. than Michael Kopech. He had one. And I would absolutely take him for the next decade over Lance Lynn. Obviously. And I said, I need to see more than just one year. But you can't turn around and say, I need to see more out of Tristan McKenzie and then say, oh, Michael Kopech has, has done this and he's shown me more. He pitched more innings. He made more starts. Though. He's been more. You did though. say that. You said that earlier. But I you need said, to see more from Kopech verbatim. too. Didn't I say that? I need to see him take that progression, that leap like Cease did from 21 to 22. You know that too, I'm, so don't even give I'm me that go, look. No, I'm going back and I'm going to pull the audio and I'm going to rub it in your goddamn face later. We're gonna let's and move I'll, on. I'll timestamp my much, own. We're, we are spending way too much time on this dumbass conversation as it is. How are we? How are we not? I mean, holy shit! Tristan McKenzie pitched 190 innings with a sub three ERA, and we're talking about Michael Kopech being better than him. I love Michael Kopech. What the fuck? No, I, I right. wasn't arguing McKenzie and Kopech though. So who would I'm you take arguing. right now? I'm still taking Kopech. Based off of stuff and frame. Yeah. And frame. Yeah. Okay. You okay. Had, Juan said it too. Here you go. We didn't think Chris Sale's frame was going to hold up. We didn't think Alexi Ramirez's <laughs> frame was going to hold up. Like, what the hell? Wow. I mean, the guy is just – his whip was .95. He had a good like, year. What, what good more year. do you guys need to he – he's 24. Year. What more do you need to see out of him? He had one good year. 
We need okay, more. Okay, you could say the same thing for Dylan Cease. You he can say the good years. thing. No, he had good two. Years. He's had two. <laughs> two good years. <laughs> Come on, Slav. <laughs> All right, we're moving on. Um, wow, I cannot believe we just had this. Just <laughs> like, holy shit. All right. Um, before we get, the, I want to end the show. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know. Like, We're, off so We're off the rails. So dumbfounded right now. I am. I cannot believe that this just fucking happened. All right. Before we, I want to end the show on a high note. We'll get to this in a, in a bit because we have a a pretty hopefully fingers crossed good update on Liam Hendricks. Before we get to that, um, the last couple guys I want to touch on: uh, Mankata and Robert in the WBC for Cuba. Mankata, after having a really slow start that first game game and a half he ended up hitting like 500 over the tournament unfortunately in that last game the semifinal, uh he sales frame hasn't helped he did hold up he i mean he was like 32 when he finally broke down stop stop don't do this to me like i'm not i'm done tristan mckenzie's better than every pitcher on the white Sox right now except for except for Genesis. like just period okay moving on mancata collided with the left fielder um in the last game that cuba played he came back with bruised ribs bob nightingale threw out this random report calling him an outfielder one and then said there was a concussion um but it seems like that that's been kind of dispelled so Mankata, um i think he's back with the white Sox today day to day hopefully um, fingers crossed that it's nothing more serious but jay i know like that's your boy and he had a hell of a tournament 435 five rbis a home run a couple doubles you got damn right he did and the thing about Makata was, uh, I remember the game against Chinese Taipei where uh, he had an error. You know what I'm saying? He fouled out with guys on base. He was still playing. That The spring was still carrying over. But I, it took the competition and the sense of urgency of the World Baseball Classic to kind of shake him up a little bit. Like, you don't have 140 games to get into rhythm, Yoan. It has to happen right now. And you've seen him turn it on. I mean, he hit 400, for Christ's sake. He was the best. He was the best player on the Cuba team. He was the reason they got that far. Gonzo, tell me you would take Moncada over uh, Jose Ramirez. Say it. Okay, good. Say it. Good. Say it. Uh, what? <laughs> what? What were your thoughts on Moncada? I mean, I'm just glad Jose, that Jose is actually one of my favorite players in the American League. Good. Well deserved. I think he's the most yeah. underrated player in in Major League Baseball. Yeah, but with Makata, with what you were alluding to, Slav, um, I'm just happy because, like, you know, last year Makata got banged up in the in spring training, and he went to the season with a hamstring injury, and we know that that lingers. Um, <laughs> evidently, with Makata, it took him what three months to get over that. Um, but the fact that he's healthy now, and now we we're seeing the best out of him. We saw some pop out of him. He was getting on base. The contact is there and the glove is there. Like, that's the guy that we were expecting ever since 19. And I know we talked about this last episode is this is that mentality I was hoping for to get the best out of him going into the season. So hopefully that continues. Um, and I'm just happy that we did get to see that because we did see Mankata in a slump kind of before the Classic. So the fact that he went there and just turned that around and – yeah, I think he was just picking up with the vibes and uh, that atmosphere and uh, taking it all in, and he turned it around, um, both him and Robert. So we just got to expect the best once these guys – I know that they're day-to-day. Everyone's day-to-day, it seems like, right now, but 
once the opening season Classic starts. White Sox. Here you once, go with this. Once the Am opening I wrong? season starts. No. No, but we'll get to that with Kenwell, maybe. But when, once Matter the opening fact. season starts, I'll be happy to see these guys all playing together, and uh, hopefully that's more than – hopefully they all play for at least 120 games or so because we haven't seen that yet. So, um, yeah, I'm just so happy to see – the White Sox represent well in the classic. I was uh, I was pleased with with Moncada's performance. Juan Diego made a great point. You know, the concern is the numbers against the quality of the pitchers that he faced. Right, like um, he's he wasn't facing the greatest competition throughout the tournament. But still, the good news is like if you're facing subpar competition, you should beat the hell out of him, and and he did. I mean, guy hit 500. So. Um, and I, I would still it, say, though, that, that competition's better than the minor leaguers that he would have seen in the spring. So Fair. Although, I mean, like, you know, today we saw Freddie Peralta for the Brewers for five innings against the White Sox. Uh, and they did hit a couple bombs off him. Romy and Sheets got him. Um, but to me, I think it, more so than the quality of the pitcher, it's the quality of the competition in general, the atmosphere, the the fact that, it you know, it matters for something. So that was it was uh, it was good to see him just kind of like squaring balls up. You know, not weak contact. He was barreling up even some of his uh, his outs. Um, I am less thrilled with Luis Robert Jr.'s performance. Um, I'm going to be perfectly honest here, and I hope I'm wrong. I'm a little concerned uh, about Robert big picture. I, I, I don't know. There's just not been enough. Um, Granted, like sample size isn't huge yet still. To me, there's just not been enough development as far as laying off the sliders. I mean, he's still chasing so many pitches, um, but he's hitting mistakes hard. And guys can make a very long and and fruitful career out of that. Um, I just worry that maybe he's just one of those guys that's never going to put it all together. Maybe he just is the guy that, you know, crushes mistake pitches and that's going to be great. But, you know, we, we, we've heard Pedro Grifol, we've heard so many people talk about his MVP potential and like, you know, how he can be one of the best in the game, but like, we, we need to start seeing it more often. Um, it did take there's a still while. Some... I was going to say it did take a while for Jose to lay off the slider too. So Jose Abreu. Yeah. I mean, but look what he did his first, early. his first season, like he was crushing fastballs. So um, like, you you know, we're, I just worry that he's going to become kind of Javi Baez-esque where there's no point in throwing him a fastball. There's no point in throwing him anything other than sliders off the plate. Um, Cause chances are you're going to get some swings. And even if you miss, you know, maybe get some weak contact, as long as you're not missing, you know, middle third or middle, middle, then you, he's going to make you pay. But um do you guys think I'm off, you know, my rocker for, for thinking like, I don't know. I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope Robert is a 300, 400, you know, 500 type guy, but um, I'm talking about slash line. Um, I, I just, I'm a little concerned. Uh, well, I mean, to be honest with you, you're hundred percent on point. Uh, Luis Robert has been in the league uh, three seasons now, and you still see intricate details from the game is missing. Like, he's still chasing sliders off the plate. He's still not camping under fly balls, getting ready to deliver deliver a throw. It's like the the fundamentals of baseball is just not there. Because if Luis Robert goes to the plate with a plan like Andrew Vaughn, 
then we'll see him scratch that potential. There'll be a little bit of consistency. There's no consistency offensively in his game. There is no more base running because he can't stay healthy. And now the the defense has eroded because he can't throw anybody out. And now he's having these gaffes in center field. He's very far away from the platinum defender. So, Slav, when you have concerns, I'm right along with you because if you have Luis Robert, who is this 5-2 player, who isn't throwing anybody out and isn't still in any bases, what are you going to wait on? Him to hit 330 home runs? Good luck. Good luck. You make a great point about the defense, too. As, as good as he is, like, naturally, you know, like, he's like a gazelle. Like, going to get the ball, sometimes he just makes it look so effortless. But then we've seen a few times, like, especially balls kind of, like, at the wall where he's going up to rob a homer, he just really mistimes it or kind of misjudges it. Um, but he defensively gave up quite a few extra bases and extra runs yeah. on some of those like sack flies in the outfield, like the routine plays, not that it's laziness, but like you said, he's not running into the ball. He's not throwing it to the right base or missing cutoff men. Uh, and we saw that a lot down the stretch you know, against teams like Cleveland with they're going to make you pay and they're always going to take the extra base second to third on a sack fly that scores a run, that type of stuff. Like, I don't know if it's IQ. I don't know if it's just, you know, like, you know, Daryl Boston's guy that's supposed to be coaching up the, the outfielders. Like, is there a language barrier? I just don't understand, like, some of these things that he kind of – and I'm glad that you mentioned it because I feel like a lot of times that stuff just kind of gets swept under the rug and nobody really mentions his deficiencies off, uh, defensively just because he does make some incredible plays and, you know, going to get the ball in the gap or – deep balls on the warning track. Like he makes them look so easy, but then there's like, there's times where it just makes you want to pull your hair out. Yeah. And I think Jake can attest to me when I say this, but last year or this off season, really, I was kind of hoping that they would move him to left field and go get a more solidified, better center fielder via trade or through a signing. And I know with the J, wow. I think I was, I was talking about trading for Cedric Mullins to put him out in center. Mm-hmm. Sliding Roberts over to left field, and he wouldn't have had to go, you know, give that contract to Ben Tendi. Uh, but and I think I did say sign Hanniger and put him in the right field. But um, yeah, I just I saw a lot of the defensive woos in the second half, and that was really concerning me. Um, and we've we just saw Kolos go into center field, you know, this spring or this week, this week really, and he had that diving catch um, and, and the cease outing. So. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, like, when he is healthy, he is a great player, and maybe there's something lingering that we just don't know about still from that surgery. Um, but I sure as hell hope not. I hope not either, yeah. But, again, we got to see him come back to the on that flight back and uh, get with the organization and get with this coaching staff more than what he was here for, what, two weeks, was it, before the Classic mm-hmm. with, the, with this new coaching staff, so – Hopefully um, they get on him once, uh, you know, he comes back and whatever. It's a week of spring training left here, but um, it's something definitely we got to keep an eye on. And uh, hopefully this coaching staff does get the better out of him than um, when he, you know, was here in 20. So for the past two years, he hasn't really had a, a great coaching staff teaching him the game better from him coming stateside. So, and there's a lot to the learn is, from you know, Cuba like- to here. Daryl Boston's the guy that, you know, he's supposed to be doing that um, and Devo's mm-hmm. still around. So um, 
I mean, <clears throat> we've heard, you know, I think last year, Tony praised Debo quite a bit for the work he did with like Sheets and Vaughn and just kind of getting them up to speed to be outfielders in the major leagues. But um, yeah, I mean, Robert granted in 60 games, won a gold glove in, in 20, if I'm not mistaken, but you know, like that's obviously small sample. Um, but yeah, they, I, I think it's fair to say he's regressed defensively. Um, the more we've seen him, um, the talent is a thousand percent there. Like there's no reason when people talk about his potential and all the tools, like that's not a lie. That's not made up. It's that's a hundred percent true. When you see this guy, like he's a freak, he's a specimen. Um, but you have to be a baseball player. Um, and that's, that's my concern. I hope I'm wrong. For me, it wasn't his glove. It's the mechanics in center field with his crow hop when he's, you know, setting himself up on those sack fly when he catches, he's not positioning himself to make that crow hop. He's right. throwing it off his back foot. Yeah. It's just the mechanics side. He's flat footed under the ball. Yeah. Like he's, mm-hmm. and his which is, you learn that in little league. His arm isn't strong enough to where he's not Bo Jackson. He's not, right. uh, He's not Vladimir Guerrero or Joanna Cespedes. He's not built to throw that way. He has to crow hop and come through the ball to receive it. He's still catching the ball at his face and still trying to rearrange and reload for a throw. You're not going to get anybody like that, especially when you're making 250 to 275 foot throws to bases and you got to be accurate. Like there's got to be some steps in place. Like we were talking earlier about Lance Lynn uh, going to a breaking ball style with the pitch clock, the, the major leagues is going to an NBA style fast break type of pace. So you got to find ways to slow the game down. When you get Luis Robert in a situation like that, where the game's slowing down and every play is magnif- uh, magnified, he's not stealing bases. You hit the ball to Luis Robert, a guy on second base, you're going to challenge his arm. You're sending that guy home. And nine times out of 10, you're going to score. So he, it, there's the details that Gonzo alluded to. That's got to clean up in order for him to reach his ceiling. Because let's be honest, guys, over the last year and a half, Luis Roberts' ceiling got a little bit lower. I don't know that it's changed, honestly. Like, uh, the potential is all still there. Like, we've seen stretches where he looks like uh, – we talked about this with Moncada at AAA. There's stretches where Luis Robert makes baseball look easy. Like, mm-hmm. he, like he's just out there for a Sunday stroll, like – you know, shooting the shit out, you know, playing baseball with his boys in the park. And like, he makes it look that easy. The potential in the ceiling to me is still right there. Like his ceiling is top five American league position player and, you know, potential MVP candidate. He can, he can do it all, but can he put it all together? That that's, that's to me what the concern is. Um, the other kind of uh, two guys I wanted to touch on with WBC, Aloy Jimenez, He's had a really strong spring. You know, he hit well with the White Sox and he's hit since he came back from the Dominican Republic, had a strong WBC as well in a disappointing uh, showing for for that country. Um, But then we saw him in his second game back with the White Sox leave after a ground out. Thankfully, it's just a cramp in his leg, apparently, and it was more precautionary and he should be fine. Um, So Vaughn is day to day with some soreness. I think he's dealing with some back issues. You know, that was supposed to be fixed. Now he's playing first base every day. Gonzo, cough, cough. Uh, Eloy is day-to-day with a um, with a cramp in his right leg, and Moncada's got the, the bruised ribs. So March 21st, we're already on this shit. Uh, it's like the Grand Theft Auto meme. Here we go again. <clears throat> wow. You know, I know you alluded to uh, Edwin Diaz earlier, but I think you totally forgot about Jose Altuve. 
the guy that I don't give a shit about. We, we should have been <laughs> we should have been playing against some, you know, you know, Houston. Like that's a huge blow, especially with Houston. And um I'm just So does not... Abreu move up to like number seven in their order now without <laughs> Altuve? Yeah, but I mean, gosh, the fact that to this point, hopefully knock on wood, that we don't get any like everything's day to day, but we don't have anything lagging past day to day. So hopefully that remains, you know, the way it is. Because last thing we want to hear is this whole, you know, injury bug hitting us. Um, especially with everyone coming back from the classic, healthy and untouched. Um, for the Are most part. Are you guys part. worried about Eloy? No. You're not worried about him, like physically. Uh, I'm always going to be worried about Eloy, but in this particular moment, I expect to see him opening day 100%. Yeah. I feel like we're going to see a lot of him in right field, too. Mm, just, that, just, well, there's the vibe so I'm getting. Let's tease that for next week's episode, because I think we're going to be talking a lot about Oscar Colas one way or the other. Um, mm-hmm. uh, last thing we want to get to in tonight's episode. Oh, um, uh, Slav, do you have any? I wanted to add a name. Do you have anything else with white Sox players because i wanted to add a, a Sox player jose ruiz yeah yes jose ruiz now give it to us jay knows this he knows me i he's this off season. The hand. Yeah, <laughs> this season um i did not want the Sox to tender him um i just was not impressed with him in our pen as you know i know he's back end of the pen but i just felt like that could have gone to so many different guys you know to give them opportunities but for the fact that with the performance he had, it just blew my mind to see that side of Jose Ruiz. Um, he showed that dominance that I did not expect to see. And that's a guy, you know, I know with Liam, go- Liam going down, there's going to be a lot of opportunities in that pen, but I feel a whole lot better having Ruiz if he keeps on with that energy and that stuff that he was presenting himself with. You know, that's a guy that... I feel comfortable with in the back half of that pen. I know, like, I think Foster's still in there, but I feel a whole lot better now. Man, I totally forgot about Matt Foster's, like, existence. Yeah. 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 I I mean, to be honest with you, I I felt like we've seen Jose Ruiz let his nuts hang a little bit. Now, he knows his role on this White Sox staff. He knows he's not a high-leverage guy, per se, in the bullpen. But he took on that persona with Venezuela like if you've seen how he put away Mike Trout he put him away like he was slamming a door now there was still some game left but you could Trout kind of looked awful like, in the yeah. WBC right like he struck mm-hmm. out a lot yeah he was going for the stars and stripes he was going for glory uh so the the book on Ruiz last year specifically was high leverage versus low leverage he was a totally different pitcher in the WBC, obviously, like most of the time, he's in some more high leverage positions. And it was impressive to see him kind of flip the script. Last year in low leverage, like opponents hit 204 against him with a 672 OPS. Last year in high leverage situations, opponents hit 320 with a 939 OPS. Like that is a crazy split. Um, I think he's going to have a much bigger role in this year's bullpen, obviously out of the necessity without Liam Hendricks, but um, uh, Lance Lynn gave Ruiz a lot of praise. Griffo gave him a lot of praise for the way he pitched for Venezuela. Uh, I'm sure Juan Diego was pumped to, to see how well he pitched for our our boys, Venezuela. Um, 
I, I hope it works out. I mean, you have, he's got the stuff. There's no question about it. He has that mentality for some reason last year in, in high leverage situations, he, he just kind of, it was, I don't know if it had anything to do with, with Tony or, you know, him just being misused. Juan Diego says he just came with confidence and hopefully he carries that over because Lord knows the Sox are going to need their bullpen a lot early on in April, especially because guys aren't going to be stretched out. Cease, Kopech, those guys already are not, you know, super deep into games. Giolito's a big wild card. Um, Clevenger is a big wild card. So, you, like, I think Davis Martin or Jimmy Lambert is a shoe-in to make the roster on opening day because they're going to need some guys who can stretch it out a little bit out of the bullpen. Um, but I was pleased to see, and I'm glad that you you reminded me because uh, I failed to write it in my notes here with Jose Ruiz. But uh, it was great to see. He's got the stuff. Where do you guys want to see him in this rendition of the non-Hendricks bullpen? About seven, six, seven still. Uh, I feel like we'll be deeper. I'm not I'm not ready to give him a hold position where I'm expecting right. him to give me a hold every time I ring his bell. But at the same time, like if you look at that stuff, that your bullpen just gets deeper. Let's just be perfectly honest. And you see where Ronaldo Lopez is right now in his transformation from going starter to full bullpen. I, that could be a, a two-headed monster that'll help uh, transition Liam back into the bullpen. Let's just say Griefall doesn't want to give Liam the ninth inning immediately back. You know, get him some work. At least you could have that back end covered with, while having Graveman, while probably having a revamped bummer. So you got options. It's not like, oh, it's the end of the world. Like Ruiz showed you firsthand against the world, like, hey, I dare you to ask me to come in with some guys on with some meat on the bone. I think Joe Kelly has, has an opportunity. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's the one that's, that's getting called in the ninth inning when we, when we get into it in April. Yeah. I think he has the right mentality and, you know, he pitched today against the Brewers. He had two punchies, I think in his one inning of work, he threw it up to 99. Like if he's throwing strikes, he arguably is the best arm in the White Sox bullpen right now. Outside, yeah. I mean, with, without Hendricks, that's that like that like fastball is so much run. I like what we saw at a Graveman too, though. So I, I still lead more towards Graveman, just with because he's proven it in Houston and Seattle. Um, but that's a guy that I would go to in the ninth. Uh, I'm not gonna, you know, turn anything that you said down with Joe Kelly because that's still a guy that I want in there in the seventh, eighth more so seventh, but um, that's a guy that I feel comfortable with in this pen. Um, for me, though, you know, people got to go back and realize that 2021, we had a really healthy pitching staff. And last year, that was the main difference was the pitching staff was so banged up. And we might have to face it. We might not have to. I mean, that's just kind of the war of attrition when it comes to baseball as a, as a pitching staff. You might have to see these guys get – chances at holes that you didn't expect to. Um, but again, I think that's what I go back to this whole like mentality thing with that competition. I was just happy that, you know, some of these guys that like Ruiz got that opportunity. They're up to par with their performance right now. And they're going into the season with that, with that kind of confidence booster, if you will. So, um, yeah, we didn't even talk about Deakman. I didn't like what I've seen so far in sp- spring. Um, I didn't like when when we made the trade for him. Actually, yeah. both lefties 
in our bullpen, meaning Diekman and Bummer, are so hot and cold depending on throwing strikes. Like Aaron Bummer, I, I remember looking this up last year, in outings where Bummer issues a walk, his ERA was like crazy high. And in outings where he doesn't issue a walk, it was like sub one, like that big of a discrepancy. It's the same thing with Diekman. Like if you're going to, if you're going to get a sixth inning and you have two lefties, you have to get those lefties out. You cannot walk lefty lefty and you know, you're just behind the eight ball. Um, one of the things with the bullpen that I'm eager to see how Grafol is going to manage compared to Tony, Tony rarely ever had two guys up at the same time where if somebody didn't have it, he has someone ready to go after that third batter. Uh, Tony was like, you got the sixth inning. Good luck, bud. And then until someone shit the bed and had, you know, five guys reach base in a row, um, then he would finally get somebody ready and warmed up in the bullpen. But I, I, I'm just curious how um, Griffol is going to handle that situation real quick before we finish. Um, Juan Diego says, what did you see of Clevenger in his last start uh, Velo and health wise on his landing? I saw some people talking about, um, maybe favoring his landing leg a little bit. I didn't really see that too much. It's kind of interesting to see how he's adapted to his, his pitching motion. Now velocity was fine. He made a few mistakes with the curveball and he got burned. Like, I think he gave up two homers and they were both on hanging curveballs, um, where he was really sharp with the breaking stuff in the first inning or two. Um, it's spring training. That's going to happen. Uh, what did you guys see uh, out of, out of Clevenger? I know Gonzo, you got a chance to see him once in person. Yeah, I, I was able to see his first outing and to go – let me put this on the screen here. Um, Velocity-wise, even the first outing, he was hitting 95-96 with the fastball. Um, and the breaking stuff was pretty impressive. And even in the first outing with this slider curveball, I would say it was probably better than the first than the second outing. But to the credit that, you know, Slav just said, I'm um, not really too worried about, you know, the health-wise of his landing because – the motion seemed fluid, um, and and, he, and this is even with his, the first outing with the the pitch clock going, it's it still seemed fluid with whether he was in the wind up wind up or stretch, it was so fluid. Um, I liked what I saw out of Clevenger, um, and I'm not really too worried about the solo shot that he gave up. Um, I'm actually pretty happy with what I saw from Clevenger and his two outings going into uh, the regular season here. Yeah. Uh, when I, when I seen it, I was telling you Gonzo, like he's spinning the ball fucking great that afternoon. And when you think about the new pitching mm -hmm. rules, like I'm worried about Clevenger tri tripping over his own feet on the mound. You know, if his breaking balls are backing up, that's what you look for because velocity doesn't matter when you're looking at his RPM and everything else. Spin rate is very important to a guy like Mike Clevenger. So, uh, to be honest with you, I think he looked good this spring. Uh, I'm excited to see him in black and white. Uh, as long as he keeps throwing those breaking balls and those, and, and those sliders on time, that's all I that's all I really want. If he gives you, let's say, 125 innings, somewhere in the ballpark of a four to four and a half ERA, like if out of your number five starter, like that's not bad. I need a little maybe. bit more innings. Yeah, you can argue like for $12 million, you, you want a little bit more than that. Like 150 innings would be great with a four-ish ERA. Like I think that's kind of best case scenario. Um, but I mean, realistically, like the expectations, 
regardless of the contract he was given, the expectations shouldn't be super high. I think. I think that's fair I, though, because his when he was healthy last in 2019, he gave you 125 innings. So I think that's a good bar to set right there, regardless I mean, of Kope, what you signed Kope the contract. Gave us 119 for. last year, so mm-hmm. and you know wow. like, nobody seems to be there know, kind of complaining about. I'm just saying, like there you go. If if he gives you 120 innings at a four-ish ERA, like that's that's really good out of your number five starter. And Davis yeah. Martin, Sean Burke, um, you know, maybe Jimmy Lambert, like they can fill in with spot starts if necessary. Yeah, and what you said, Slav, like even with Kopech, like that's a guy that it really at 95 innings with his first year in rotation at 95, he was starting to teeter-totter with his stamina, and it was really affecting him, I felt like, in his outings after he hit that range. Which, I mean, it's expected you have to build that arm strength to last that duration of a season. So, I mean, for Kopech, you're kind of hoping for between, what, 135 to 150-ish, hopefully, this year? Uh, to um, me, like, it's got to be 150 at least. I, he's not young. Like, he's inexperienced, but I think because of that, people think he's still, like, in his early 20s. Like, he's not young anymore. Uh, and, the you know, he should be held to the standard now, like, if he's not giving you 150 innings, like he is a full-time starting pitcher, right? If we're, you know, praising him as, as the number three starter in this rotation, like then the bar should be a sub four ERA with 150 innings minimum, right? Like he should be making 25 And that's starts. not a tall ask for somebody of Michael Kopech's talent. Mm-hmm. He made 25 starts ask. last year, but only 119 innings. And, yeah. you know, for as much as we talk about Cease's lack of efficiency, you know, Kopech obviously was even less efficient uh, with with going deep in his outings last year. Granted, I think early in the year they were really monitoring his innings. But to me, like there's there's no more, you know, governor on Michael Kopech. Like the expectation is you're a full time starter, make 30 starts, go for 200 innings if you can. But like, you know, the bar is set. It's not like, oh, well, 125 is really good. He's still young or he is inexperienced. no. I want to see 30 starts. I want to see 175 innings. I want to see a sub four ERA to me like that. There's that a lot gives... of pitchers though in the one fifties. Like when you look, go back at the, the innings pitch in the league, like Zach Wheeler, he was at like one fifty five. So yeah, guys just don't go deep in ball games like these. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, um, it's like, if you can give me a fresh one thirty five and teeter into the one fifties, I'm okay with that. But Man, I still uh, to expect... me, 135 is a disappointment for Michael Kopech. I'm sorry. No, I'm saying 135, like, like you hit that and you're just going strong at 135, and then you start to, like, you know, you see the arm starting to die out at, like, 150-ish. Because, like, how, it, how, what do you it mean? Like... like, it seemed like he was going strong. His arm was strong at, nine, at like, 95 innings, and then he started having these issues. And like he teetered out at like 119. Well, yeah, he wasn't healthy. Like the the knee issues, obviously, he was overcompensating with the arm. Uh, Look, I'm I'm just saying, like, there's no more excuses, right? There's like 135 is is not enough. If he's your number three starter and if he's the guy that you want him to be, like, we need to raise the bar. Like, we can't continue to baby Michael Kopech. I just feel feel bad. Easier said than done, though. Like building that arm that's strength. what separates good teams building. from from bad teams like you that's what separates guys from being very good starting pitchers in major league baseball from everybody else it, he has that potential like i think he has that like, potential but again him. like i don't think it's babying him it's just real life it's the reality of building that arm strength to where your expectations of him are 
do you know how many times he pitched 130 some innings in minor league baseball twice, if I'm not mistaken, before he made the majors, like uh, stop, yeah. stop with the like, well, well, what, stretch his arm out. No, of, he's, it's a difference of generations too. Like you, we just I, no, I agree with that. I agree yeah. with that. There's they, like, I think at this point you see like 10 guys a year pitch 200 innings. That's fine. My point is do not make 135 Okay. Like don't make 135 innings. Like, okay, great. Like great season for Michael Kopech. Okay. If he gives you 135 and he's got no gas in the playoffs, like what is it? What's the point? And I feel like I'm crazy. Like I'm not poo-pooing Michael Kopech. I freaking love Michael Kopech, but like we need to raise the bar. We need yeah. to stop babying him and, and setting such low expectations. Like we cannot, like if he gives you 135 innings next this season, then what's the, you know, what do we say next season? I, I fail to see how 135 is like acceptable. I mean, I mean, I understand where Gonzo's coming from, honestly, like the 135, because it will be an uptick from where he's at. But at the same time, you got to you got to see where Slav's coming from, where if I'm taught, if I got the audacity to have Tristan McKenzie and Michael Kopech in the same sentence, I need Kopech to at least give me 160 to 180 innings because I'm pretty sure McKenzie's going to have 200 this year. Let's just be, let's just be honest with ourselves. Is Kopech in the ballpark of pitching 200 innings? No. no. Not yet. He pitched 134 in the minors in 17, 126 in the minors in 18. He pitched 119 last year in the majors, obviously major surgery in between them, but like, let's stop with the like stretch it out. And like, like we need to raise the bar for Michael Kopech. We can't fucking pimp him as a number three starter and like talk about his potential and then turn around and say like, yeah, 135 innings would be great. Like if he's really good and like, no, we need to raise the bar with Michael Kopech and hold him. If Dylan Cease gave you 135 this year, you're like, what the fuck happened? Yeah. If Lance Lynn gives you 135, you're like, what the fuck happened? Like, he needs to be held to the same regard and the same standards as the rest of these guys. Like even Giolito, you know, he's going to give you 125. So I, I don't know. I just, I love Michael Kopech. I am rooting for him. I think his stuff is freaking outstanding. I think he's got the right mentality. Like he has that fuck you mentality when he's got his shit going. We saw that against the Yankees on national TV last year. Like, and you can always t- like uh, put your cap or, I don't know what the hell I'm trying to say, but you can always kind of go back and reference that and you go, that's the type of shit like Michael Kopech could be doing. Um, That's the type of stuff we need to be seeing more, more frequently out of him. Uh, Anything else on Kopech before we finally finish this up with Hendricks? Uh, Well, this will be the last time we compare him to Tristan McKenzie on air. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, All right. Last thing here before we, before we head out, um, let me see the comments real quick. Shout out to Juan Diego for like just being with us. He agrees oh, with me on this no, one with Kopech. No. Um, no more excuses for Juan Diego. So uh, thank you, Juan Diego. Go Venezuela. Thanks for listening. Um, all right. Last thing here, circling back to Lance Lynn's interview on foul territory. He was asked to give an update on Liam Hendricks, and it was a very, very positive update. Go ahead and play the clip, Jay. Well, last time I saw Liam, like, to be honest, he was like, I, this is going way better than I thought. And I was like, he, he looks great. He's been throwing. Um, we're waiting for, I want to tell you that he's got one more test coming up that tells us 
exactly what we want to know the first of April or the end of uh, this month. So that will tell us a lot going forward. But you know, Liam, Liam's like, oh, once once they get me to go, I'll be back in games and and the next day. And I was like, Liam, calm down. Everything <laughs> like take give yourself a break. I'm like, get yourself right, and we we need you. You know. When you're ready, he goes, oh, I'll be ready right when they give me the go. And I was like, well, typically in fashion, I, I hear you, but make sure you're good to go. But he's throwing, uh, he's been throwing bullpens when he, when he feels good. So hopefully that means they, you know, everything is cleared up and he's, you know, ready to go. And I'm, I mean, you hope to get him back by, by June if everything's uh, perfect. In his mind, he'll be back in May. I was like, but we'll see. But he's, he's looks good. He's, you know, he looks, you know, he looks strong. So that's the, that's the number one thing. And when you see a guy like that going through it and he's got good spirits and he looks strong. So that's a, you know, that's a good, good sight to see when he comes in the clubhouse. Incredible update there from Lance Lynn. Uh, love to hear that from him. Nobody doubted Liam Hendricks mentality going into this, right? He gets diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. You know, he got the fuck cancer shirts. Like if there's a guy that, you know, is going to go in with the right mindset and be like, yo, this is bullshit. I'm going to get over this. I'm going to come back. I'm save 30 games and throw 99 again, like it's Liam Hendricks. So that was really, really reassuring to hear from Lance Lynn, just even for the morale of the team, having him around, seeing him throw. It's just, it's nice to to get positive updates on him. You know, Lynn saying, hopefully June, um, Liam probably saying, I'll be back in May. That would be awesome. But um, Gonzo, just a really positive update from, from Lance Lynn because the White Sox, rightfully so have been very kind of tight-lipped about this and when he's ready he's ready if he's ready to come back so good to see uh, uh lance give some positive updates on liam and hopefully the white Sox have him sooner than later because they know they're going to need him yeah i'll be interested to see what the update is um because i know lance did say that you know he has his last meeting here in end of april so we'll see hopefully end of we march get some... early april yeah so it's my bad I spoke there, but uh, that's that'll be an interesting update. Um, we'll see where he's at in his uh, his revamp mode. You know, from there, I know um, Liam will probably want to come back right away, but we have to be realistic and just for the best of the team, you know, best for himself to um, bring him back accordingly. Um, and I just got my uh, closeout cancer shirt. Um, I got three of them. Nice. So. I'll wear that uh, next week um, once I get it washed and everything. So I'll be happy to wear that for Liam next week for our opening uh, episode for the season. That's great. I think we got cheated out of Liam in the WBC. Can you imagine what it had been like him closing out somebody? Shit, fuck off. God, God, God damn it. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Like, I can't wait for him to come back as a a fan. Like, can you imagine being at the rate Liam's first appearance? It's going to be electric. It's going to be, it's going to be one of the moments where you had to be there. That that's the power that he has, the magnitude he has. He's universally loved by everybody. Everybody gets caught up in all the personal stuff and different politics. That doesn't matter. He's one of the best closers in the game and he plays for your hometown team. And he's really, as, as Lance Lynn said, he's going to be here sooner than later. I'm excited. I'm pumped up. Great news for Liam. Great news for the White Sox. Great news for, for everyone. Yeah. I mean that we haven't really gotten any updates from the White Sox or from anybody else since, since uh, pitchers and catchers reporter, which is now gosh, five weeks ago. 
Um, this feels like it's been the longest spring training ever, but it's also like the first like actual regular spring that we've had in a few years. So um, great, great. What's up? I was going to say, it sounds like Kopech is, or not Kopech, Crochet, uh, Crochet's ahead of schedule too from his recovery. So as a lefty, he should be back sooner. And hopefully he's healthy and has a prominent arm as a lefty. We're going to definitely need him. Yeah, I think if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, the, the original kind of prognosis was end of May at the earliest um, or maybe June. I could be wrong, but they're saying you know, end of April it, now. I mean, that'd be great. You know, yeah. certainly could use a, a left-handed arm um, with Bummer and Deekman. That's all they've got right now. Um, but great to hear from Lance Lynn. And again, shout out to the Foul Territory show on YouTube. Go look at the, inter- or go watch the interview. Uh, AJ Pruszynski, Adam Jones, Eric Kratz, Todd Frazier, a uh, handful of former major leaguers. I'll, I'll do that show. They do a really good job and they've got tons of interviews. So that Lance Lynn interview is a lot of really good stuff on the WBC, on the White Sox. Um, Great stuff on Hendricks there too. So uh, make sure to go check that out uh, as we head into opening day. Any final thoughts, boys, before we get the hell out of here? Uh, well, I got to apologize. Uh, Gonzo, I'm sorry. I went along with the agenda as long as I can, but I can't sign off on Michael Kopech being better than Tristan McKenzie. Um, I got more bad news for you. Uh, Jose Ramirez is not hitting 300 against the White Sox this year. You could cancel that. And- Wait, why is that bad news? Uh, because he wants Jose Ramirez to kill us again and again and again. And if the White Sox let him, he will do it. He's not going to do it. Uh, I think we had an outstanding show tonight, had a lot of fun. Uh, Proud of the United States of America and the White Sox in in their showing in WBC. Can't wait to do it again. 2026 is coming back. Gonzo, final thoughts? Yeah, I'm just going to be excited to see – Hopefully, I know we'll do our predictions next week for the season, but I have a good feeling the White Sox will have a better pitching rotation than anyone in the division. And yes, it's going to be Cease, Lance Lynn, Michael Kopech, and I don't care who else, Giolito or Clevenger. Wait, early, earlier in the else. episode, you said you said Kopech was number two. What, Gonzo? All right, no, I'm I said go I said Kopech I'm two. This you said Lynn two. I said Lynn too. You just said Lynn too, and I and you said Kopech too earlier. All right. So when you go back earlier, this is what I said. I said flopping ass. No, I said Cease, Kopech, Lynn, and then I said either your view of it with Lynn two or Kopech three. Regardless of the top three, they're still better one, two, three than what Cleveland had offered. You got your Aaron Savali right here, buddy. Got your Cal Control <laughs> right here, buddy. Yeah. Whoever the fuck I mean, is after Bieber and McKenzie. Plesak, Quantrill, Savali is pretty damn solid. Plesak can wash his hands after using the bathroom. It's confirmed. I wish Ozzy Jr. was here tonight, but he's in Chichadivich <laughs> or someplace else. Uh, shout out again, Juan Diego uh, Montenegro for, for being with us all night. He said he's going to send us some cool picks for Miami World World Baseball Classic games. Mm-hmm. Uh, OG Blackout Show at gmail.com. Send us those uh, pictures. We can throw them up in next week's episode. Hopefully, you're back with us watching. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Blackout Show, CHI, Blackout Show Shy, uh, Facebook. And as always, subscribe to the Guillain Grid if you're watching us here on YouTube. If you're listening on the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all the places you get your podcasts, we're available. Um, for Jay Targaryen, for Chris Gonzalez, for Ozzie Guillen Jr. out 
on vacation somewhere with his family. Thank you so much for listening to episode three of the Blackout Show. Have a great night.